Hey everyone, so welcome back and uh, I'm just going to, you know, I've been putting this off for a while, so Sylvie Dow, Co Coach Sylvie and Dow Training Systems and what is this? This is my interview cycling series. It's going to turn into a podcast and it's called Secrets from the Saddle because it's all cycling related. And the reason why I put this together is my own passion for cycling. I've been in and around it since 2001 when I opened up my first spinning studio, got into masters racing, started a women's cycling club. Now I'm coaching and I'm looking at doing other cycling related projects in this area. So I've always been curious about some of the, um, you know, the realms of the cycling world because there are so many different things that come together to make um, make things work. You know, coaches, athletes, uh, sponsors, um, you got bike owner, um, bike shop owners, you got developers of, you know, gear for cycling, you have, you got parents, you have all kinds of people that make the cycling world. So that's why I started the cycling uh, secrets from the uh, saddle. And I'm going to get on this and do something every week featuring somebody different in the cycling world. Now, when I talk about cycling, it could be mountain biking, road cycling, criteriums, time trials, uh, TTs, anything that involves a bicycle basically, and some sort of coaching and athletes. So with that, I am going to introduce Jim Glover here, who I'm super excited to start off the series back um, with him because we've worked together, um, worked together in my cycling club. Um, he's coached me as an athlete. So we kind of go back. But, uh, and that's, that's a little bit of our background, right? So just think it's almost 20 years now. <laughs> it's funny how it's almost 20 years. <laughs> it's been 20 almost, well, since 2000. Yeah. So it's been 20 years since I've been on <laughs> the bike seriously. Um, and also before we even get started, I'm going to say a big shout out to Mike Bennett of Eurosport sports and prologue for letting us do this, uh, interview in his basement, actually his training basement, which it's, it's kind of where it all started. Yeah, yeah, if, you, if, you want to know where, if you want to know where the very first cave for training was, this is probably it. This is probably it. And we both trained here and then we both coached athletes who were training here. So we created the training program and then, that they do yeah, Jim, this stuff. Jim created the program. So we've got a really cool person here. Um, I would like call him like a local coaching celebrity in the cycling world because he has coached fair amount of people in this region as well as some top level athletes. So let's get into Jim's background then he's going to start breaking it all down for us. So how about that? Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I, know. I sprung this on him like last week. I'm like, because remember I said I, I've been thinking about getting this started for a long time and I finally just said, you know, got, you got to get started. And I was like, hey, Jim, you want to be interviewed? <laughs> and then I started phoning all my other friends that I know who are coaches. So you're going to get a plethora of different coaches coming up. And then we're going to dive into athletes. Anyways, it's all going to be out there. All right. So we're going to start. So when did, okay. So first we have some stuff here. We're just going to start with all Jim's accolades because he's got quite a few. And to coach at his level, I always think it's super important to have certifications because I've got my level three national performance cycling certification. I guess that's what I call it now, or maybe they call it something different, but um, I went and got my national certification and it's important to me as a coach. And if you're an athlete, it's important to uh, ask your coaches if they have some sort of certification or they're part of an organization behind them. So we're going to start with Jim, Jim stuff. And the first thing we're going to show you here, he's brought some things, um, is his Coaches of Canada's official, okay, you have to tell me about this, the okay. charters. So the I'm, charter of I was, uh, this one's the certification, the certificate for when I was the very first charter professional coach in cycling in 2006. 
So the only other guys that had that certification were me and the national team coaches like Eric Vandenine at the time. Um, at that time with the coaching program, uh, you started with levels one, two, and three, mm -hmm. and then you had to petition the coaching association to be allowed into four and five, and they actually had to accept you and uh, say, yes, it's okay for you to go into levels four and five yeah. at that time. Yeah, because those the the higher levels like four and five are the Olympic yeah, levels. Yeah, they're so the you, Olympic levels. And, and once you get, I guess you have to. Start you have to take all the tasks. Training. And then you and and then when you get done at least twelve of the tw twenty tasks, you're at level four. Oh, when you have all twenty, you you're at level five, and, and then on top of that, you apply for certification as a chartered professional coach. Mm, okay. So that, that requires not only that education, but it requires that you've coached athletes at at least one world championship. Yeah. At that so, point. So, so um, I've been working with uh, cerebral palsy athletes. Uh, I've been working with able-bodied athletes and Olympic athletes for triathlon by the time this got around. Um, and so I've worked with quite a few athletes across cerebral palsy, triathlon, and uh, bicycling that have, had ridden world championships or Olympics by the time 2006 got around. Cool. So you did, because they're, like, did notice that, um, because obviously when you get to this level, you are now officially can take on, like, an Olympic um, team. Yeah. And you did... Did you do some um, I've the coached, Moscow games? Um, 1980. I, I, well, 19 uh, Moscow was 1980. Yeah. And um, I was one of the qualified athletes in Team Pursuit to go to that game. Oh, okay. But that games got uh, boycotted. Oh, see, I was only like you weren't nine very years old, old at that point. Yeah, I was nine. You weren't old, old enough to go to the Olympics. I was still getting point. over Elvis dying. Oh, wow, well, there you go. <laughs> Which was '86. Yeah. So, um, so in 1980. Uh, I was part of that Olympic team that they would have picked the qualifying team from uh, oh, okay. to go to the 1980 Olympics. But we boycotted those Olympics, and the next Olympics was uh, LA in 84. Okay. Um, so that kind of ended up starting my coaching career because I, I could see that I was already 25 at that point. Yeah. In 1980. And so I'd be 29 for the next Olympics, which in essence in our country at that time, I was too old. And how old, eh? Too old at 29. Oh, guys. Like, now, oh, can't now, put out the same kind right, of power. Now, now I'm more than twice that old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was why ultimately why I started taking coaching courses because uh, I could see that I wasn't going to be a, an Olympic athlete mm -hmm. because I was good, but I was one of the guys. I wasn't the best guy. Yeah. And so uh, by the time the next Olympics rolled around, um, they were going to take somebody younger than me if they were almost as good. Yes. Because then they have the experience to be able to make the next Olympics. Right. And that's, that's how our team chose people back then. So Isn't that how I, they chose I, I, They probably still do it that way, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think take the best, worry about the rest. You know, um, when it's an Olympics. If, if, if you're looking at yeah. other games... You can call them as getting ready for the Olympics, but mm -hmm. and that's a little different. But you know what's nice is that taking good athletes that train well and have excelled and actually, you know, you decided to be a coach is something the sport definitely needs, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. you could have cho chosen to take your experience and done something else instead of like benefiting um, the sport. Yeah. yeah, my university education had nothing to do with this. So what was that? Yeah, I, had, I, I did degrees in architecture and industrial design. Oh, so way out of the spectrum. But that's how I got started in the sport. So and uh, way more fun, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that, one of the guys I met at university here, Carlton, was a bike racer, and oh. he got. That's how I got started bike racing. Oh, so, so, so that's the first question. How yeah. did you get started that's, in cycling? Yeah, that's how I got started. I was at Carlton University Architecture Program, and one of the guys there um, went on to be a great architect, and and that. But he he started me in bike racing, so uh, it was kind of fun. Did they have a team? Uh, we didn't have a team at that time. We just. Time. A group of guys and happened to be a group of guys in architecture actually uh, oh. and and uh, we raced and one of the other guys ended up uh, uh, going to the Ecoles de Bazaar and did architecture there for a, a term as well wow and 
Could anybody else in that group continue on with their sporting uh, career? And no, they all just became architects. Not, not yeah, they, they all did. became architects. <laughs> well, we need uh, at least one to go you know, into sport. And, and so, um, but it was fun. I, but I, he had, that, the guy that introduced me had been the guy who held all the local records at the time. Ah, and you're like, well, So well. less than two years later, I beat all his records. We're going to talk so about that of, in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but that's going into the next one, you know, um, and I think you might have answered that was when did you know that you wanted to get into being a coach? And of course, as we know, if you've been a coach, it's not as lucrative as maybe architecture, but yeah, you can make it. Yeah. In this country, it's probably one of the least lucrative. Yeah. Coaching jobs you could have. Um, Not as a cycling coach, you're just like. Uh, uh, coaching generally doesn't get paid well in this country, mm -hmm. um, but I would say cycling coaching would be among uh, probably closer to the bottom of any of the coaches as well uh, that get paid. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure your experience is the <laughs> same as mine. We've, we've <laughs> known all kinds of athletes that have no problem spending 5, 10, 15 grand, 20 grand these days. Yeah. Uh, on a bicycle and then say, I can, but I can't afford a coach. Yes. And, yeah. And so and we're that's always fighting that. Yeah, we're always fighting with that. And then there's a few people who say they want to give back to the sport and coach for free. Yeah. I know as well. well, you just and need so to those pay are, the bills somehow. You know, so those are, those are difficult things to overcome yeah. uh, from that perspective. Um, I mean, for me, in the earlier days of coaching uh, in the 80s, I was coaching Gord Fraser. Yes. And uh, at that time, he was a group of about five athletes in the OBC that were considered pretty good, and Gordon mm -hmm. wasn't considered the best one yeah. at that time. So were Mike Nash came in? Oh, no, Mike Nash is much later. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and that. But um, with Gord, it was, uh, I had to change everything I did the way I coached. I had coached in an old style um, that was, let's say, derogatory a lot oh. and hard on people a lot. Oh, um, I've had a coach like that. Yeah, but you know what? It um, yeah. it worked on me. Yeah, some like of I didn't, work on. I didn't uh, take um, offense to it, but yeah. it made me think. Yeah, I I laughed in that. One of the things I had done back then is I I could I, one of the things I would do is to help people time trial faster. Is I would ride right behind them in a time trial, and I okay. And said, let's just say when yeah. he coached me. He did that. I did that. He did that. Yeah, I could, and, at, and at that time, I could ride behind somebody and still be talking to them up to about, that's right. up to about gears. 45 Adam, k boy, You could go fast. I remember right. that. Yeah, yeah. And it's pushing, it's it making pushes them people push. very, very hard. Yes, it um, does. Uh, but also at that time, back in the early years when I did that, I would, I would, I laughingly say I would insult people back at least two generations. <laughs> uh, like my dead grandmother could go faster than this. Um, and things like that. Um, I, I followed, that now? you know, you know, and at the time I said the rules were really <laughs> simple. I said, all you have to do is do what I tell you when I tell you to do it. And if you don't agree, we'll talk about it later. Um, right. Yeah. Let's not have course, that conversation course, now. Because if you could talk while we're riding, you're not working hard enough. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had one rider look and he was getting really, really ticked. And, uh, and I sort of yelled out his name. I said, if you want me to stop talking, go faster. <laughs> well, so I hope you can, that works. You could go with that one, right? You can understand, like, if I want, you know, the only way you'll get rid of this guy is, is go fast enough that he can't talk. But the so, point is, if you're right, you're, you're paying yeah. for a coach, you're yeah. paying for this kind of yeah. finding out <laughs> encouragement. Yeah, you are, you are paying for that, you know, and um, it's a lot of fun after, <laughs> um, during maybe not so much, but the, the point of that is. I know from the body language and what the athlete's doing, what they have left. Yeah. And the athlete doesn't necessarily know because mm -hmm. they've never been there. Mm -hmm. And doing that, um, they get to find out that they, they can go 30 seconds faster on a 15K and not yeah. die. Yeah. And, and that makes a like big that. difference and when you're racing. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and so what, that's one of the things that when I've talked to people outside of coaching about how you're doing things and, and, and in coaching, I said, one of the things a coach has to be able to do is know the limits of an athlete better than an athlete knows their limits mm -hmm. for that specific reason. Because a lot of athletes, if they haven't been to a higher level, don't know they can get there. And so they worry about that. 
And so you have to be able to know that their limit is higher than they're presently at and use the right techniques to get them to get there. Yeah. And that's, that's not always easy. Yeah. And I think that that goes right into their training programs too. Yep. And one thing that I can say about Jim's programs is that because he does most of them on, on Watts, which yeah. if any good coach does, should. One of the first. I was one yeah. of the first back in the 80s, actually. Yeah. And um, I remember um, when, uh, you know, I was training with you and, and I would sometimes go over to his place and he would put me through a program that he had on his compu trainer. Unfortunately, that amazing company went under, yeah. which is too bad because those yeah. those can, those trainers were like a hundred percent. They're bulletproof too. Yeah, amazing. Like they don't break like this other stuff. Um, but I was always amazed at you know how you could put together a program based on wattage and get the results. Because there's you and I've had some other coaches and they've all been good. And I've always taken on different coaches to learn different things from them. It's not that I was a bad athlete or there was a bad coach. <laughs> I just like to be coached by different people because everybody's got different ways of coaching. Yeah, they come at it right? in a different way because of their experiences. Yeah. And so I find that that makes me a better coach because I've had multiple coaches, you know. Yeah. Like, um, I'd... Um was working with Derek G when he was switching from junior to senior. Right. And um, oh, Derek G. Yeah. He's uh, on top, on fire, eh? Yeah. He's yeah. been like he'll be at the next Olympics. He'll be at the next Olympics. Yeah. Um, and that. So um, I changed his position. I gave him. I taught him some techniques, and we raised his starting power by basically fifty percent in one training session. <sighs> Hello. You know, Would anybody um, just like fifty percent improvement yeah. after one training session? Yeah, just learning how to start, to say, learning right? how to start better, learning how to use all the different muscles. And it goes back to you're one of the only people I've seen actually mentions uh, breaking the pedal stroke down that I taught you. Yeah, and you don't hear other coaches breaking it down and and saying here you need to break it down. That's so probably you can where I got it. It, it, it is where it? you got it. Okay, it is where I got it because I'm the only other one. Yeah, because like. I can, and when I do my cycling programs, we spend 16 weeks apart, but on the cycling techniques, the four pedal strokes, yeah. breaking it down. And I think like you can't do that in the summer. There's certain things that I've always the said. The only time we did it in the summer is when we did hill repeats on pinks. Yes. Well, no, that's what I mean. You got it. You learn it in the in, in the winter in the winter here on your trainer. Work safe. Yeah. Yeah, and then you go apply it, and that's like yeah. it was night and day. Yeah. Night and day, and um, yeah, that was yeah, that's where I got it because like I preach that all but the time. But you don't see other people doing it. You know, very no. very seldom do you see people talking no, about don't. it, and yet it's it's very important. Yeah. Um, because uh, you can see people that have great technique. Mm -hmm. And the problem actually that I found with the people with the very best technique sometimes is that they're the people, and you see them in the pack all the time in a race, they look like they're great, they're doing wonderful, and then suddenly they're spit out the back. Yeah. Right? And that's because they have such good technique and they're using all the muscles properly, they have no other muscles left over for when they start getting tired. Mm -hmm. And so it's gone in a blink. Yeah. Whereas when you learn all these techniques, you have other muscles that you can relax, other muscles you can work, other muscles can recover. And you can last a lot longer, and mm -hmm. you know, and even cars are doing it now, where they have certainly they have uh, they they turn different cylinders off depending on how hard you're working. Yeah. It's the equivalent of what a car does now to try and get better gas mileage, right? We're just so, so we're, but we were doing it a really long time ago. We won't say how long ago. <laughs> I'm not as old as Jim, but <laughs> yeah, she's way younger than me anyway. I'm getting so. up there though. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So pedal stroke technique is yeah. like. I, I preach, 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 and I know that my clients, when they get out on the road and they go and they go to France for their tours, it makes a world of difference. And, um, you know, Jim was one of the ones where he also, when we coached, he had like nine different hill repeat, nine different hill drills. Techniques. Yeah, different techniques to yeah. climb the same hill. Yeah. Which I'm sure you could probably add to that because well, I'm always like... Yeah. Technically, there's 27. 
do between, well, the girls in the club, we don't do only five. Yeah. Because right? doing the hill more than five times, you're pretty much toast by then. So yeah. the idea of doing more than five was out of the question. But um, yeah, most people, as an athlete, I would probably teach nine. Yeah. And most people now that are listening to this are going to be nine ways of climbing a hill. Well, yeah, believe it or not, you can you break it down. You got to talk to one of us. Yeah. That's yeah. where the secret is. Yeah. And, and people go a lot faster when they learn how to do this. Oh, God. Totally. Like, even on the flats, too, if you yeah. implement that pedal stroke, like, anyways, nine day, but that's not what this is all about. If you're curious, ask questions below. And I forgot to say, you know, make sure you subscribe so you get all the next, um, like, pot, like interviews yeah. and also put your notifications on. So, yeah, so if you want to know more about that, you're going to have to ask the questions. And, you know, you can go to Jim's uh, website, which is peakperformancepro.ca. Now, let's move on. Um, who are some of those key athletes that you worked with over the years besides well, I me? Yeah, <laughs> um, I've worked with a lot of the medalists in the cerebral palsy world. Um, yeah, back Are before the turn of the century. No, they're, no. they're from all over Canada. Oh, okay. um, and that was in the, the late, from 96 to 2000. Are they on like recumbent bikes, like all on all sorts? No, they're, they're they... cerebral palsy on, depending on how, how much they're affected, right. they're on a normal bike. Oh, okay. Um, the highly affected are on trikes. Okay. Uh, and then you have amputee athletes and you have blind athletes. Right. I've worked with a few blind ones as well. Okay, so you've done like... Um, you worked with multiple disabled. Yeah. Would you say like? Yeah, through till through till around 2000, and at that time, what the Olympics did is they made the UCI make each governing body for cycling the governing body for cycling. Right. So uh, for the Paralympics before that, cerebral palsy athletes went as cerebral palsy athletes of Canada. They didn't okay. go as cycling Canada athletes. Oh. Okay, so they had their own category. They, well, no, they didn't. They didn't have. A, they, they didn't have a difference in category of competition, but they weren't Canadian cycling athletes. They were ah. cerebral palsy cycling athletes. Okay. Uh, competing for Canada. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. And so um, the very very first event they actually got to compete on wearing Canadian colors for was a '98 in Colorado, and it was the test event world championship for disabled athletes um, before Sydney. It okay. was a qualifying event for Sydney and uh, in the 2000 Olympics. Yeah. And at that time, they had to have enough countries and enough athletes at that games to warrant putting cycling into right. the, the Paralympics in Sydney. Right. So there were over 20 countries and over 400 athletes there. Really? Yeah. Para-athletes? Para-athletes at the 1998 Games What do you think it is now? Uh, I have no idea. I haven't... Um, because you know what? One it, of the things In some that... ways it's good, because uh, actually next this weekend coming is a World Cup for paracycling in Milton. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, on the track? Like that, on the track. Like last weekend was the able-bodied guys, next weekend is the, really? the Paralympic guys. Because I was talking, um, every year I go for an AGM uh, with the FQSC. So that's for the Quebec Federation of Cyclists. And they were saying, you know, and I got to meet um, a paracycling coach and a couple of the athletes. And really, like they were saying, you know, there's just a handful of yeah, them. Yeah, not a lot. Because, you know, and it's it's almost like our women's category, I'd say. I was the only <laughs> but, one carrying a woman. Yeah, that's, you know, that because there's just so few on the, the start line. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? There are a lot of amputees around here. Yeah, I would see, I'm like, uh, why is there no recruiting going no on? No recruiting at all. For the CPs or the or the blind or the yeah. amputees. There really isn't. Yeah, there's, it's, uh, the amps are much better uh, at This is what we need to do. In, in Europe. It's much better. Well, let's just say Europe does a lot different More. stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, um, I love Quebec for the Cycling Federation. Oh. I think that yeah. they pour a lot of money, but they... Um, Eventually, they're, they're the best of any province, yes. Yeah, and that's why I, I stay in Quebec with my club, uh, because of that. Um, but anyways, but see, there is something that could be created, you know. Like, I know a couple para-athletes that are in our club. And, you know, 
they don't have to be any age. They don't have to be 19 years old. Like, no. these para-athletes are my age. <laughs> well, they're maybe a little younger. Uh, but still, the thing is that they don't have to be like a teenager to get started. No, they, they just have to have the drive and the coach and the gear. Um, and I'm sure, um, you know, uh, the money is there. Uh, for Something. Us, if for there us, were more, I'm difficult. sure. Yeah. Um, as I said, like I was working with the cerebral palsy athletes from '96 to 2000. And I was a volunteer coach position, so they just paid expenses for me to go to events, mm -hmm. and they didn't pay me a stipend or anything. That's it. So yeah. it, it makes it harder. But yeah. um, I had one woman, and um, I'd take her to all the events anyway, regardless yeah. of that. She'd be the last place person because it's against all the men. Oh. Right? There were, were, you know, and even yeah. in, in Colorado, I uh, took her uh, and knew that she wasn't going to be one of the qualifiers. You know, right. we had two guys that I, we were really hoping both of them would qualify in both events mm -hmm. um, to give us the best chances to be able to pick athletes for going to Sydney. Right. So, uh, but I knew she was not going to be one of them. And, wow. But my opinion of bringing her was so that she if I don't bring one, one, no one else is going to bring one, which means there's never ever going to be yeah. a women's category. Yeah, and, that's the and, big and so that's issue the big issue. It's is the big issue. Women's categories um, for and, and that, so it, it makes it quite quite difficult. I, yeah. I actually helped her a little bit because um, back around 2000 or so, there was a I don't know if you remember this, but there was a a, a, a climb up Mount Everest with disabled athletes, disabled people, and she was one of them. What that woman was. Oh, one really? Of them. Did yeah. she get up there herself? She, yeah, she, she walked up all the way. She oh, got wow. all the way to base camp one. She didn't oh, get okay. there. She got to base camp one. Still. Yeah. Standing she on Everest. Yeah, she has approval palsy. So. Is yeah. a feat in itself. I've yeah. been very close. Uh, Kalapatar, which is, I think it's probably about three kilometers from base camp. But I got a good panorama of it. I'll show you later. It's, it's all in pictures. Um, all right, so let's move on now. Jim has some amazing records, and he's going to show you some pictures on his power records. Sure. Okay. So the thing is that right here, I'm going to, where's the best picture? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. This is the best picture of the bike that he was in, um, and I'm going to let him explain this because he's got the world record for going the fastest time trial, right? Yeah. Well, I hold the flying 200 meter record on a conventional position bike, so that's one of them. That that picture of that bike actually is during the run at the World Speed Championships in a place called Battle Mountain, Nevada. I think and a lot of people don't know about. No, they probably don't know about. Well, Battle Mountain, Nevada is a, a relatively high altitude area. And but it's a, they actually have a flat road for five miles, absolutely oh. flat for five miles. So God, I can't imagine. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing about 70 kilometers an hour on that picture, which was the record for conventional position bikes on that course in 2012. Um, and I'm 57 years old in that picture. So, so, and so I beat all the young guys. Uh, the other Is, picture that she's holding that's that's the world record bike from. 19, uh, 1980, uh, 1986 actually. Uh, we made some adjustments from the bike in 85 to 86. And there are two that different That was the bikes. first one. That, this is the first one and that was a later bike. Right. I don't know, this one looks more aero than this one. Oh, this one is about 10 kilometers an hour faster. Oh, wow. 10 to 15K faster with the same power. We've had both bikes in the wind tunnel down in Texas A&M, so we knew Exactly. How okay, to do it. here's the question, Jim. Are you the same weight for both races? Because it is a weight to power. Uh, it or, no, I was, I was definitely lighter for this one. <laughs> definitely lighter. Are you for sure this it had one. anything to do with the, the yeah. bike? Well, it, it helps. It helps. <laughs> a light, well, well, see, but, but, the... but the weight, the weight that I ha weigh more here, this bike weighs heavier. So you know, oh, so it does. Oh, you're lucky. And yeah. So it almost, almost balances out. It balances itself out. Yeah. And then this was the newspaper article. Well, actually, yeah, this picture, this part of the picture here. Um, I'll put pictures up 
if you can't really see them because there's a lot of glare so um Um, i'll just take a picture and i'll put it in but so that that was a blow up of a postcard that alex Moulton put in every bicycle box after we did the record oh my god really every every bike that he sold after the world record had this as a postcard in the bike because basically what we got started you can see from the little picture here how tiny the wheels are they're 17 inches and that's like a kid's bike and and so you think they're like well how can a bike with small wheels go fast and basically the small wheels have almost nothing to do with how fast you go it has to do with the gearing Ah, oh, what kind of gear ratio did you so have it, on it here? Sounds, it sounds really impressive. We had to make our own chain ring. So, uh, <laughs> oh, it, yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, so the chain ring on the front had 86 teeth. <gasps> is that kind of... That's why, that's, that's, that's why that's this they, is... Yeah. I thought so it just like your round pedal stroke. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how big the chain ring was. Basically. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I will really, really put a picture so you can yeah, see so, this because it's see. probably very hard from there. Yeah, from there, pretty hard, but... The, the chain rings were as big as your crank arms. Whoa. Yeah, so that's exactly that's what why, it looks that's like. That's why it looks like it's you're drawing a circle there for the pedal stroke. But no, that's how big the chain ring was. So, uh, and down on the back, Alex has a, a, a 9, 10, 11 that threads on. Oh, okay. So the top gear was 86, 9. So how come it wasn't like the other way around? Like smaller gear in the front or no, no gear no, in the front with a bigger... No, no, same as your regular bicycle. You put the big one on the front, the little one on the back. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I, I was a spinner and always have been a spinner. So that made it, we didn't have to make as big a gear for that. So, because I was spinning. For, so for me to break that record, I averaged 122 RPM going through the speed traps. Whoa, 122. Okay, so like I always, and uh, I was um, like, I had one coach, and I don't think it was you, but he had me going down blacks. That'd be me. At small 145. Gear. Yeah, small gear, small chain ring. Yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> so, so I was like, wow. You have a long way to catch me, darling. I know, but like, hey. Um, so the first time I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, really? You know, when you're sitting there. You think you're, you're going to bounce off the bike. <laughs> no, I thought my kneecaps were going to blow off. Yeah. That, that too. But, that too. But the thing is that what taught me is that you have to apply power going down the hill. It's not one of those recovery points. Well, you can make it if you're one of those cyclists that hits the you know, the, the crest, and then you automatically get into a tough position. I always make, those guys make me laugh. So sorry if you're one of those. But um, you have to work as hard down the hill as, as fast. So I did get up to 145 uh, RPM, or yeah, pedal stroke permit, down the hill. But at first I was like, whoa, what? And it took me a while. It took me probably all summer to get that. Yeah, it takes time. But you work. You work as hard down the hill as up. And, uh, yeah, Jim taught me a lot of great great things about See, that. Being... Part of why you want to learn how to pedal fast downhill is you can afford to do it in a small enough gear that you can, pedal it, you can run out of leg speed yeah. and not have to have run out of power to do it. Uh, because if you want to go fast, you have to be able to push really hard on the pedals and you have to be able to turn the pedals really fast. Yeah. And you can't do one or the other. Technically, um, I mean, unless you really know how to pedal super, super fast. Um, one of the experiments I did is I raced a guy downhill uh, on a hill in a training camp, and I stayed on my small chain ring on the downhill. <laughs> and I stayed in the easiest, second easiest gear. So um, I ended up peaking at 231 RPM, and I averaged 221 Wow! going downhill. See, so I was doing over 60K an hour to do that. Yeah. And... Jim, um, we went to a training, well, we did a training camp. We did a training camp together, yeah. Together, and um, one of the things that uh, Jim did with all of us is like, you know when you go riding in a a training camp, or like even in a group, and if there's no control in the group, there's always like somebody who takes off really quick. It's like, like, I can't, I can't pedal that slow up the hill. I'm like, you will, and you'll do it now, so use some of your gears. And I remember we had Jim, some steep hills there too. Yeah, I remember Jim in front, so you can't pass the the coach, and he would just bring all of us down, and we stayed together as a collective group, and um, we climbed those hills together, and we were all different fitness levels. And one of those things that, and I apply it now when I do my coaching my group rides. I said we're gonna tr- we're gonna do this together. 
you know, nobody back there is going to sprint up forward because you think that, um, you know, you can't pedal that slow. No, you're going to learn how to pedal that slow and it's going to be respectful in the group. And I, I love that because, yeah. and the other thing that, that, um, oh, was using the small chain ring all the time. I, but the thing is that for me, I don't have a compact on the front and I notice a lot of bikes are coming out with them. All of them have compacts. Almost they don't have the, the 5439 anymore, yeah. which for me, I think is like the best gear ratio. For most, well, you can always accommodate by putting a wider range of gears on the back. Mm -hmm. um, I got another bike, I actually got an S5 and I put a 5339 on with rotor rings on the front, but then I went to uh, an 1130 on the back. 1130, okay, yeah. So it yeah. makes up for the compact that it would have had with say a 28 or a 27. I had a 29, 1129 yeah. on the back. But yeah. seriously, like I, I found it always, and maybe it is like, I do have to look closely at, because I always watch people's pedal strokes. Yeah, and, I've, I've coached um, a bunch of people that, um, didn't want to go that way and then when I showed them why they should <laughs> um, they were faster like you oh. just, well again you know the Mackay sisters right yeah yeah um, they when the when the first came out and okay uh, you want to know about like fast women yeah fast <laughs> women oh my yeah. god those yeah. sisters yeah especially climbing oh and uh, uh, the one sister was the very first and may have been may still be the only one who's won uh, tour of Sutton two years in a row yeah, I was there, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the second year, I coached her exactly how to win based on the last day, not the rest of the week. Yeah. Well, that's basically when all of us are dead. Yeah. <laughs> we see, for her, she could climb so hard and she could put it in so hard and she was so competitive. Um, I taught her on the bottom of Meech Lake Road, uh, or at the bottom of Camp Fortune at Meech Lake to the, to the, to the gate. Yeah. That's the same 400 meters as the finish. Oh, for, yeah. Okay, so just a little background about Sutton. So, Coupe des Amériques is a stage race. So, you have the prologue the Friday night. So, you just basically climb up a hill for five kilometers. And then... Which uh, she could win. <laughs> which is like... <sighs> and then the next morning is the time trial, which is 12 kilometers. Nice. And then we either had like a crit or a long... Uh, short course road race and then on Sunday was a 90 uh, the last time I did it was like 110 K steep like hilly road race and finish on a tough climb oh and it, then you finish like climbing up to the top of a ski hill like where the lodge is you know what those are usually like uh, oh my gosh yeah. so I taught her mm -hmm. how to be able to do really well in the first two races and, and do well in the time trial yeah and then hang on for dear life and hopefully not lose time in the criterium and, <laughs> Don't and then, crash. well she was she was never comfortable going fast with people around her yeah. so uh, on corners so um and then in the last stage i said as long as you're within 20 seconds of whoever the leader is you can win and uh based on points yeah, it's based on points time and, time, and time 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 yeah, okay. time and i said based on that you can win and I said, yeah, 30 seconds would be a little tougher, and 10's actually too close. I said, 20's a really good number for you to be back. Because when I taught her how to climb the bottom portion of Camp Fortune on that gate, you would never believe you could make 20, 20 to 30 seconds on that stretch. Right. But I could teach her how to make 20 to 30 seconds on that stretch. Oh, I never thought of that. That's a good... You always so, have to find examples for yeah, your finishes. Right. And, right, and that was a perfect on. finish yeah. example. And I said, so all it meant was all you had to do is feign being tired and worn out like everybody else. <laughs> you and, and It's all about strategy, Garrett. Right? Girl, the strategy boys. thing. Right? Like, and, racing is all I love and all the strategy, right? Yeah. It's not the guy who makes the most watts. And, yeah. and so everybody's tired and they're all watching you because they all knew you won last year. So the optics is all you had to do was stay with them and keep bleeding people out until you got down to the last five or six. And at, at, at 400 meters to go, nobody believes you could put 20 seconds on them. Yeah. Because everybody's theoretically going hard. Mm -hmm. But I said, I'll show you. And we trained how to put 20 seconds on somebody in that span. Yeah. So that she could win. Yeah. And that's how she won the second one. Yeah. In a row. 
because they had no answer because partly mentally they weren't ready to go any harder except for the last 50 meters, but they couldn't go from 400. Mm -hmm. And But she needed the 400 to be able to make the full 20 seconds. Right. So that's what I mean. Like when you're racing, you have to have some sort of strategy, whether you're a triathlete, you've got three stages you have to think about, mm -hmm. or you do like um, stage races. Like the most we have in this area is like um, four three to four yeah. stages and if you want to come you know top three top five finishing you have you really do have to look and that's something hey i never did i didn't even think about it yeah. and, you're, and, and your uh, training has to reflect where yeah. you have to do what you have to do right you know it's not you just go out and do the miles uh no there's right. specific intervals to deal with specific things that are going to happen in those races that are going to make or break a race right and I remember actually applying something when I did my level three with Kayla um, and it was for OBC and we trained that last section, the, the finish, because yeah. that's when you, where you change the finish to, yeah, the flat, to the flat, relatively flat. Yeah, it was different because you had a downhill roll and then you had a flat and a false flat up, yeah. which changed the dynamics and what the mm -hmm. finish was going to be like. And so we trained on that and we trained changing gears different times until she was able to speed, like keep a consistent, like just gearing until she was able to sprint for the end. And she, she won that yeah. the race. Oh, yeah. And then we, then I took her to nationals. Um, and, and the thing is about that is, you know, when you're a coach, you're like, I should have been somewhere else. <laughs> You know, because we talked about the finish. It's all about the finish, right? If you are a certain position coming around the corner, coming into town, down, and I mean, I said, this is where you have to sprint. You have to like, fuck, just really gun it because it was a downhill. Then it was like a turn like this and that um, to make it. But she came fourth or fifth. I'm like, she could have done it. You know, but I'm like, I wasn't in the right spot because I was sitting near near the yeah. finish where I should have been on the freaking hill. Yeah, should I should have been, been on the hill. If, if you thought the, the moment where she had to go was four or five meters back, you had to be back there. Yeah. Yeah. And it because what you need is to get down that hill as fast as possible, yeah. get in front of everybody to take those corners. I had a guy do that too. It. I had a guy yeah. do that at the World Masters in Edmonton. And uh, yeah. I said, your interval was long enough that it was two laps. Mm-hmm. On the finish course and the course was too tight for people to put a train together to chase you down yeah at that and um and it had a little climb in it that was going to break the guys that were just hanging on anyway and i said but you could go from two laps out and i was yelling and screaming at him at two laps out and he said he miscounted me he, he, he had to go at one and so he didn't get <laughs> so he didn't get his gap right? oh shit! No, and that's uh, so he sort of laughed because then they just rolled by him at the finish right so yeah he fully gassed so, himself yeah, out. right but uh, right. if he done it from two laps out he would have made it yeah. oh well and then that becomes a a, an ex, a training race oh yeah <laughs> live and learn and yeah. apply the next time yep. so what do we have here just to um okay so you know, what is, what do you find that you really love? Because we're almost to the top of the hour. Like being coaching, like as a coach, and you're not coaching a lot now, and maybe you'll get busy <laughs> after this one because maybe a lot of you guys just realized you weren't training as efficiently yeah. or effectively as, like, oh my God, awesome, as effectively you are. But, you know, and on Jim's page, he does have, like, you know, different levels of coaching. And he was just telling me that he's got those two guys, the air pilots. Yeah. So he's still coaching, and he works extremely close with his, his clients to make their programs work. However, these athletes are super motivated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you were and just telling me about these... The world, uh, so, yeah. These, yeah, he coaches people all over the world. Yeah. But he was just telling me about these two um, airline, pilots. airline pilots who race for the... Yeah. Well, one was racing as a pro in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and as a 40-year-old, he wanted to be able to race for a pro, uh, semi-pro pro, uh, team in Hong Kong, but they wow. only allowed one foreigner per team. Oh, okay. And he wanted to be the foreigner. Ah. 
and uh, so we had to go through a few hoops to get that to work. But he ended up winning the Hong Kong Championship, so yeah, so it worked out good for him. So, anyways, if you also need like somebody to organize yourself, um, so this we just have a couple other things. He's got a little thank you from. Who's this? That was Mike Nash. Yeah, Mike Nash. That, that's nice. a photo of Mike when he was he's doing local. the World Hour record. Yes, he's a, he lives in Carlton. Yeah, so he still rides around these parts. Yeah, he'd, uh, that was when he was going for, I believe, the 45-year-old hour record bracket. And he did the 50-year-old bracket in Mexico last year. Whoa, anything's possible. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to get back on the circuit this year. Well, you know, for the hour record, it's it's um, <laughs> it, it, it's a whole lot different than doing anything else. I don't know uh, if I need to do the hour record. Uh, you know, do it, I need it's to an age bracket one, right? That's an age bracket one. So uh, you'd have to go look up the UCI record for your age bracket and say, and then after you stop cursing on how fast they go. Oh, I know. And, I, I then used you have to, to decide if you want to take a shot at that or not. <laughs> The thing is about coming back as an older master, there are a lot of uh, masters champion racers and that's who you have to compete against. Like it's not like your grandma here. There's a lot of ladies who are still extremely competitive. And that's why I decided to just focus on criteriums. Because I like them, I love the strategy, and I can train effectively for those yeah, because it's, it's a lot different. Yeah, it's a lot different and, you know, possibly stem over into time trials, but yeah. road racing? Mm. Road racing is pretty hard because of the length of time you have <laughs> yeah. to put saddle time in. There's yeah. no way around it. A one hour or 40 minute, 30 minute criterium based on age bracket, um, you can train effectively for that without having to put in 20 hours a week. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you can do it on 10 hours a week. It's not a problem. I know. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> yes. I you might know, need some help. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's also one of those ones where the hour doesn't require any luck. Yes, you it, just yeah, do it, and as long as you don't break your equipment or whatever, um, mm -hmm. you can do it. A criterium has a certain level of luck involved in the sense that uh, someone could break away that you don't know about, or you know, different things like that. that strategy, and I mean that strategy yeah. aspect of the game. Um, or you miss the break, and it's yeah. a break that wins, which doesn't yeah. happen very often, but when it does, then, you know, if you're trying to win the sprint, you're SOL. Yeah, yeah. I know. You can be SOL pretty quickly on a, yeah. a crit. Um, but uh, the thing I like is the strategy and getting close to the front, and I have no problem, like, I've got guts in there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've done it long enough that I know where I can recover and and that's the thing, right, is knowing your personal output and what you have to do in between certain corners. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I did have this. I'm, I'll keep holding this up. Yeah. You just want to show that? Oh, yeah. And that's then that's a human gonna, car vehicle one. Yeah. yeah, so that that goes with this, right? Yeah. Okay, so you got a little plaque. I was just I was just joking that 1989 was when I graduated high school. <laughs> you can do the math. Um, and then he got um, you know a nice letter from the OBC for working really closely with their women's time trials, and that brings like just to the the close. But like we were saying, like I I partnered up with Jim to help my club put together some time trials, and he was exceptional. Um, you know, and the thing is, it's great to have people like you still in the community who are out there giving out free advice. Is that? Yeah. But what was unique about our time trial series is uh, having Celia involved, and she's a computer whiz and and does a lot of stuff. We actually were probably the only ones that ever had done a time trial where the results were online before the athletes saw the numbers. I know. I always like to go over and above right. in my in my club because uh, I'm like yeah, just the way we had set it up. We'd set it yeah. up so that all the seed sheets and all the all that stuff was on Celia's website, but it also did all the calculating. So all we had to do was pump it into the website, and then it brought all back uh, average speed and and what your place was and how fast you went and how you went up against your PBs and all that stuff, and it was all done online in real time while we were standing there. Yeah. That's and, pretty impressive. Uh, That's even better than any kind of road race. Yeah, I've nobody else can do that in the world yet. Not nobody. Nobody. Well, you should. You guys should get together right. and collaborate so on that. Laugh. 
I mean, technically they could, but I mean, the UCI would never do that. They would never want to allow the results out before they gave them out. So, but that just the way that it was set up, well, yeah, you it had to do that, right? Because it, it technically, if you got on our site, you could see the results before we talked to people because we did all yeah. of it online. Well, out, out, in the middle trial, of, out the side of a road, mind yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. So. But time trial is easier because yes, it, it is. is a start time, a finish time. There's not much dis yeah. disputing going on because no. it's like one person usually yeah. finishing at a time. So yeah. it's well, pretty and, accurate. Yeah, and what was nice about it, it did all the calculating. We didn't have to worry about uh, making a mistake doing the math on start time and finish time, which, mm -hmm. yeah, I teach people those tricks too because it's, it's, it can get tricky to try and figure those out sometimes. I know. I had to do it myself. Sometimes your brain just says, nope, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> if you're not into math, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> will explode. But, but yeah. anyways, so that concludes um, our first uh, interview back with Jim Glover. And I'm super happy to have you guys watching. Now remember, subscribe to make sure you get more. Uh, like I said, you I'm going to get... tell them where they need to subscribe to. Oh, no, it's going to be on my YouTube channel. Oh, okay. So that's why it's going to be on YouTube, so you can subscribe there and share and also put your notifications on because I do put other cycling-related little tips and uh, stuff on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to be back here every week. So next one, I'm not going to tell you who it is because it's going to be a a surprise every week and uh, like I said if you have any questions about uh, cycling related stuff put it in the comments because I'll get to them I'll show Jim where they are and he can answer those too um, you can go to his website which is peakperformancepro.ca and you can contact him there too so thanks a lot guys have an amazing day and make sure you're training on your bike bye Thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot. Good to see you again. Cheers.